0: If you haven't already, I'd encourage you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 15, book of Romans chapter 15. So here at Redeemer, we're doing something a little bit unusual for us. We normally work through books of the Bible, but um, at this particular season, we are, we are pursuing God's truth in a bit of a different form. Um, and what we're doing is we're working through a series called Gospel Foundations, gospel foundations. There's there's two reasons why we're working through the series. One is because they're in the Bible and they're true. But the second reason is in this season right now, October 2017, the church is celebrating and remembering a recovery of the gospel in the past. And the recovery of the gospel in the past happened 500 years ago and was begun with a man named Martin Luther. And, and we might know of it as the Protestant Reformation. We don't worship people here at Redeemer. We don't want to preach the works of people, but where people have drawn the church of Jesus close to the gospel, we want to learn from them, and we want to be drawn close to the gospel in the same ways. So a summary statement of this gospel foundation that you've probably heard us say before is this. Our gospel foundation is that salvation... Is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, as revealed in the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. One more time salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, as revealed in the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. And when you hear the word alone there, I would challenge you to think supremely, primarily, ultimately. And so, in our gospel foundation series so far, we've said one pillar of that foundation is God's Word, the Scripture alone. We said a second pillar is God's saving Son in Christ alone. We said a third pillar is God's saving grace, grace alone. And we said a fourth pillar is God's gift of faith, faith alone. And so today we want to look at a fifth pillar, God's glory through salvation. This fifth pillar of our gospel foundation is God's great glory. So perhaps you've been led to wrestle with this question. Why? Why? Why would God choose to save sinful people? Why would God, at great expense to God, send His own Son into the world to purchase salvation for sinful, rebellious people who deserve His wrath? Why? Why? Why would God give us the grace to awaken our cold, dead hearts such that His Son would look appealing to us? Why? Why would God draw us to faith in His Son whereby we would be declared just and righteous and saved? Why? The answer to the why question is huge because it helps us understand God's motive understands God's purpose. But likewise, the answer to the why question is huge because the why question shapes what we do with the gift of this great salvation. Why God acted explains what God desires from us. And sometimes we like this truth and sometimes we don't like this truth but the giver of gifts get to decide its purpose. So that ugly sweater your grandma gave you last Christmas she did not give it to you to go back to Macy's for a gift card. So you had to wear it. Or is that just me? Grandma's He stay away from ugly sweaters. It builds familial unity deep and wide. But I'll give you another example. My grandfather passed away in the first year of my marriage. He owned 150 acres in Williamson County. I got one acre. That's a lot, by the way. And my mom said, we want to give you this so your student loans will go away. To which my wife and I joyfully and gratefully said, we receive your gift and your purpose, and we will joyfully write a check to the bank. Done. Right? But there's a reality in the world that the giver of a gift gets to determine its purpose. And in the Scripture, we are told why. Why did God save Why did God show mercy? Why did God pour out his love and his grace? Why did God make a place for me and his kingdom? Why did God make a place for you in his kingdom? And the answer from the scripture is so that the glory of his saving grace would be told for all eternity in such a way that he would be praised and exalted and honored as the God who saves the undeserving and makes them his own and gives them the righteousness that they could never come up with. God chose to save so that God's saving power would be exalted and extolled and told of for all of eternity. And the Bible's word for that is glory. Glory. Christians love to talk about the glory of God, but most of us have no idea what it means. But the scripture tells us that glory is deserved fame, deserved praise, deserved honor. And deserved is the important word there. Because undeserved praise, undeserved honor, undeserved fame, that's idolatry. But deserved fame, deserved honor, deserved praise, the Bible calls that glory. And this passage in Romans 15, I would challenge you to go more than two pages in the book of Psalms. I would challenge you to go more than five pages in the whole Bible And not find a reference to the glory of God. And so the answer to the why question is that God saved to display his glory, his fame, by decisively saving a people who would glorify him. God acted decisively to save a people for the honor of his name. And I just am guessing this morning that most of you are like me and you just wish you knew why more often, right? Why has this happened? Why has that happened? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? And while the Bible never gives us the the minutia explanation, like there's no scripture passage that explains why my day was shaped the way it was yesterday, you know, like 1 Jamie chapter 32, like it's not there. But the Bible gives an overarching, all-encompassing, truthful, helpful answer to that question. For the glory and the praise of God. That's why. So let's look at this. Let's see if this is actually what the scriptures say and then we'll talk about what that might mean for us. So I forgot to turn my points in to the the screen people so I repent and you'll just have to follow along. But um, our first point for my note-taking friends, God's motive. God's motive. What is God's motive for saving and redeeming, and building a people, and building a church, and setting up forever to function the way that forever will function. Paul, in Romans 15, beginning in verse 8, gives us two answers to this question. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, okay, so when the scripture says that Christ became a servant, what that means is, I tell you, Christ took on human flesh and became a man for this purpose. So Paul is telling us in this passage why Christ came. Why? To show God's truthfulness. And so, so Paul is now reaching back into the Old Testament, and he's saying Christ came because God promised that Christ would come. Christ came because God promised that a Savior would come. Christ came because God promised that he would right all the wrongs of creation. Christ came because God promised that he would make a new and better way. Christ came to show God's truthfulness... But in showing God's truthfulness, Christ is going to do two things. One, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And two, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So let's let's look at those in turn. Let's take them in reverse order. Number two, Christ came... So that the Gentiles, and when the Bible says Gentile, that means everyone who's not of Jewish physical descent. So looking around this room, I'm just going to say us, okay? Us. You all. You guys. You ands. All y'all, right? So why did Christ come? So that we would glorify. What's glorify mean? Give God his deserved fame and praise and honor, God, for his mercy. Mercy, not giving us what we deserve, but choosing to to give us something other than what we deserve. So Christ came for what purpose? That the Gentiles would give God, God glory by believing in Christ, celebrating the gospel, being transformed by the gospel, and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Christ came that we would forever glorify God for his mercy. So what that means is there will not be a single day from now until forever whereby I'm not characterized as one who deserves nothing from God but received everything from God's Son and therefore stand in his presence, accepted, loved, forgiven, and changed, and he deserves all the glory, he deserves all the fame, he deserves all the praise because I brought nothing to the equation. Ladies, do you get upset? Or Let me just say it this way. Whomever cooks in your home, do you get upset when the person who doesn't cook and contributes absolutely nothing to the meal comes home and offers unwarranted criticisms of your cooking? Anybody? You're like, but you contributed nothing to this. Now let's just... Multiply that by affinity. And let's extrapolate that out for all of eternity. And let's think about how the Lord feels when we take credit for what he did that we could never earn or deserve. How much more? Christ came so that those who were far off would know God and exalt him for his mercy. The purpose of God's son coming was so that father, son, and Holy Spirit would be glorified for all of eternity. What about the Jews? What about the Jews? Let's read. We're taking them in reverse order. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And so when the Bible says patriarchs, it's referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of Israel from whom the Jewish people came and from whom Jesus the Messiah came and was born. What were those promises? The promises were that God would build a people who belonged to him, who would walk in his blessing, and who would declare his greatness. Those were the promises. And the promise was that a son of Adam, little biblical history, first man, first woman, Adam and Eve, a son of Adam, who was also a son of Abraham, who was also a son of Moses, who was also Excuse me, who's also like Moses, who was also a son of David, would come and, and fulfill all these promises that God would build a people in God's place at God's time to enjoy God and declare the excellencies of his name. And so what Paul is telling us here in Romans. Chapter 15 is that Christ came to make all those promises yes and amen in Him. How is God going to build a people? Through Jesus. How is God going to establish His place? Through Jesus. How is God going to be exalted forever? Through Jesus. How is God going to be extolled through Israel? Through faith in Christ. God has always saved people through faith in Jesus. So, do we have two motives here? Do we have two motives here? Jesus came so that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy and so that God's promises to Israel would be kept. No, they're one and the same. Listen, I could have literally picked for you a hundred Old Testament passages, but I'm just going to pick one. And it's the one that Brandy read from us earlier. So if you don't mind, turn over to Isaiah chapter 48, verses 1 through 11. If you you don't want to turn, you can just listen. But God is going to tell the people through Isaiah exactly why he's going to keep his promises and send his son and and fulfill every promise that he made through the patriarchs. Isaiah 48. Beginning in verse one. I hope this is so clear that I don't even have to explain it. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right? For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of the host is his name. So who's God speaking to? Israel. Who's God speaking to? Those in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who's God speaking to? Those in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who are not walking in his ways, who are not exalting his saving power, who rather are rebelling against him. But listen. Verse 3. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declare to you, To you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, My idol did them, my carved image, and my metal image commanded them. So do you hear that? God's people, Israel, were prone to give God's glory to others. Do you see that there? Verse 6 For you have heard. Now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and, from, and that from before birth, you were called a rebel. Verse 9, here's God's answer. Why is he going to fulfill all the promises given to the patriarchs? For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake I do it, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another." What's God saying in Isaiah 48 through the prophet Isaiah? I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna be gracious to you. I'm gonna fulfill my promises to you. Why? For the sake of my name, that my name would rightly be exalted and glorified in all things. So, what we have in Romans 15 is not two purposes for why Jesus came, but two ways to explain one purpose. Jesus came that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would rightly be exalted and worshipped and praised and given fame for all eternity for their saving grace, for his saving grace, for the saving grace of God. So what Romans 15 is telling us is Jesus came for the purpose that Christ would bring glory to God and that those who know Christ would bring glory to God. Now, what Paul does in verse 9, 10, 11, and 12 is he quotes from 2 Samuel 22, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 117, and Isaiah 11 to say this has always been God's intent. There is nothing new about this. God's intent was always that that Christ would come so that the nations and all the people of the earth would know God through him and exalt him for his mercy. The glory of God is the purpose of salvation. The glory of God is the purpose of life. The glory of God is the purpose of the church. The glory of God is why you live today. The glory of God is why you will live tomorrow. And God desires for us to exalt his holy name in all things. Now, that leads to our second point our response. If God's motive is to glorify God, glorify himself in all things, then how do we respond to this? Let's start by looking at the response given in this passage, and then let's wrestle with it for a few minutes. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, I hope you can at least grant this to me. Paul seems to believe that this truth of Christ's coming for the glory of God is good for God's people. Can you grant me that from the passage? He says, I pray that in knowing this, you may find hope and peace in believing that you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit and that you will abound in hope. What's Paul saying? He's saying that this truth about God's glory is good for God's people. I'm not a big fan of quoting humans from the pulpit because God's word is much better. But when I was a young Christian, there was a a pastor named John Piper. And and he helped me understand how these two things work together clearer than anyone else. And I'll just give him credit as I share with you this morning. God's glory and my joy are not at odds with one another. God's glory and my good are not at odds with one another. Because what the scriptures know and what Paul seems to believe in Romans 15 verse 13 is that seeing the glory of God is the chief end of my life and the chief end of my salvation and the chief end of the church of Jesus and the chief end of this church and the chief end of your family and the chief end of everything we're going to do, seeing that is not bad for us, but rather liberating. Seeing that is not an evil for us, but rather an eternal good. Seeing that is rather not a restriction to our libertarian freedom, which we don't really have anyway, but rather it is a joyful gift from God. Paul says, may God fill you with joy and peace in believing what? That Christ came to save you for God's glory, and may you experience the power of the Spirit in recognizing that it's God who saves and not you, and may you abound in hope. Paul seems to believe that this truth of a God who saves for his own glory and and exerts love and mercy and grace so that he would be exalted is not selfish of God, but benevolent of him because it's letting us know him and know his power and know his saving grace. And so Paul says, I pray that you would so bask in God's saving power that you would find joy. Joy. You know what that means? It means joy. It means pleasure. It means delight. It means it's okay to smile even though I can't make myself do it. Okay, it means satisfaction in who God is and what he's given you and where he's placed you in his world. Joy. Peace. Peace means an absence of conflict, an absence of war. And most of y'all are like, dude, you have no idea. Yeah, I do. We live in a fallen world. And peace is a battle. And that's why Paul says, may God fill you with peace in believing. In believing what? That he saves, he redeems, he makes all things new. He is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You belong to him. And he is good, just, and glorious. That's where peace comes from. so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now now that phrase, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, what that insinuates and what that means is that if we believe the Spirit dwells in us and God's power is now alive in us, we're not left to ourselves, therefore we may hope. Hope is believing what we don't see that God is with us and will never leave us and will never forsake us and has eternal good for his people. That's hope. That's hope. So will you at least grant me that Paul seems to believe that seeing this vision of a God who saves through his Son for his glory is actually good for those who believe. Paul seems to say that this vision bears the fruit of joy, peace, and hope. So I would pray for you today. I would encourage you to pray to the Lord today. Would you, Father in heaven, give me joy in knowing Christ and knowing that you have redeemed me and saved me? God, today, would you allow me to experience peace as I believe in your Son? God, today, would your Spirit work that my life may abound in hope? So first, I'm asking you to respond to this truth by believing that God's saving grace produces joy, peace, and hope. And go looking for joy, peace, and hope by looking to God. Second, If it is God's purpose that he would be exalted for his saving grace, then let's commit to not take any credit for our salvation and standing before God. Let's commit to not take credit for our salvation or standing before God. Oh, I would never do that, Pastor. I don't have any false idols in my house. Good. When I go to the Thai restaurant, I make fun of the dude with false idols out by the front. Don't make fun of him, but I'm glad you don't stop and worship. But there's so much more there. If there's anything in your life that you do that you think makes you more acceptable in God's sight, you are stealing the glory that God deserves for your salvation. So when you get up tomorrow morning to read the scriptures, are you reading it because you want to meet with God, or are you reading it because in some way you think that's going to make you more acceptable in God's sight? When you stop and speak to the homeless man selling the contributor one Um, one stop down Main Street or the older lady selling the contributor right out here? When you stop and do that, are you doing that because God's filled you with compassion and you want to share compassion and you want to glorify God's way that he's changed your disposition because he knows what you would have said to her 20 years ago? Are you doing that because you think in some way you're going to tip the scales of God's favor toward you by doing something that most people won't? If you do it for the latter, you're stealing God's glory. Are you sitting here today because you're convinced that meeting with God's people and worshiping God's people, worshiping God with his people, please don't worship us, that's a bad, bad thing. (laughs) Worshiping God with his people is a joyful thing that glorifies his name. Are you doing it because you think he'll be a little less angry with how you acted last night because you're here this morning? If it's for the latter, you're stealing God's glory in all things we do them to extol the greatness of god we passed an offering basket a little bit ago if you threw something in there thank you we're grateful for your giving did you do that out of an abundance of feeling blessed by the lord and to celebrate his kindness and his benevolence to you, or did you do that to somehow placate his anger and tip the scales toward you a little bit? If for the latter, you are stealing and claiming God's glory. Third, if Christ came to save a people who would extol God for his mercy. Let's commit to bear fruit with our lives. Let's commit to bear fruit with our lives. Last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter two. Verse 10 says this. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's commit to believe that how we live matters. And let's seek to live in a way that extols the saving grace of God. So when I make peace with rebellion against God, I am not extolling His saving grace. When I repent of my sin, I'm extolling His saving grace. When I turn away from my sin and receive his forgiveness, I'm extolling his saving grace. When I pray for the spirit who dwells within me to help me be more like Christ, I'm extolling his saving grace. Fourth and finally, will you ask God to work through you your family, and this church for His glory. Will you ask God to work through you, your family, and this church for His glory? And you know, we Christians, we have written ways that we pray, like we have words that we just repeat all the time, like, um, like that seems to be a really important part of prayer, um, And Lord, like the more times you say Lord, the the more likely um, God is to hear. Um, That's a joke, by the way. And in Jesus' name, like we like to put in, that's all good, by the way, if done correctly. But let me appeal to you here. For your glory. If you can't append for your glory, for the glory of your holy name to the end of what you might pray to the Lord, I would submit to you that maybe you shouldn't pray it. But if you can append for your glory and still be biblical, then I would encourage you to pray boldly and ask the Lord to do great things through you. So are you struggling with a sin today? If you belong to Christ, Jesus came so that you could be delivered from that sin so you can pray boldly, Lord, deliver me from this particular sin for your glory. Is your marriage on the rocks today? Struggling today? Have a big fight last night? God created marriage. It was his idea. the Bible says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, then it would be God's will that your marriage would be healed and so you can pray, Lord, heal our marriage for your glory. Are you at odds with your kids? Scripture tells parents not to exasperate their children Tells children to, to follow their parents as unto the Lord, so we could pray, Lord, heal our family for your glory. Do you have a neighbor or a friend or a loved one who doesn't know Christ? Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your soul. So we could pray, Father, save my friend for your glory. Scripture says that Jesus will reach every tribe and tongue and people and nation and that heaven will be filled with praises from all peoples. So we could pray for that particular people group in Uganda that Jesus would save them for his glory. Young Life people, you can go to club tomorrow night and you can pray that God would drastically cause salvation to be poured out in those students for His glory. Our youth will meet and we can pray that God would draw our students and our kids closer to Himself and protect them for His glory. Tonight, we have a big church meeting with a lot of important transitions to talk about, and we could pray that God would unify his church, keep us in peace with one another, keep us moving in a way that glorifies him for his glory. I realize I just messed that up, but go with me. Because Jesus died for the church. If you feel left by God, you can pray that you would feel His presence because He promised that He would never leave you or forsake you. And you can pray that for His glory. So friends, I'm exhorting us today to make the glory of God a chief end that's not just on paper, but that captivates our minds and our hearts and our words and our living and our praying and how we do everything. Because that's why God saved us. And if that's why he saved us, that shapes our purpose for this life. God gets to shape our purpose for this life. God does. So that's my exhortation to you today. If you're here today and you're just exploring Christianity, first of all, let me say thank you for being here. Thank you for letting us be where you would explore. And if I could put the pieces together, God sent his son Jesus into the world to live and die on a cross and rise the third day to build a people who would belong to him. And those people belong to him not because of any good they have done, but because of what Jesus did to save and redeem and restore. And today you can become part of that people by responding and saying, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. God, would you save me? And then all of us together will make the glory and the fame and the deserved praise of God our goal and our aim and our focus and our purpose. This is what He desires. Let's pursue it together. Father, I thank you for your great benevolence toward us in Christ Jesus. And I pray that you would pour out your power and your saving grace in this room. I pray you would draw us close to you. And I pray now you would lead us to celebrate the greatness of your salvation as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.